passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. We are finally here, people. The top teams in college basketball have been determined. The final four is set. And if you're looking to wager on these games or the national championship game, head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or your mobile device and sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V to get started. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all updated odds and info along with player props, new contests throughout the year. It's not just for the Final Four. We got NBA games. We've got NHL, boxing, you name it. BetOnline has it. Bet online where the game starts. With that said, episode 150. For the love of the game, let's get this work. Episode 150 for the love of the game with yours truly, Aaron Tobin, has back in the saddle, back behind the mic, and we had a packed weekend filled with hoops, whether it was the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight with storylines galore, we're going to talk about that with recurring guest Jordan Marks coming on in a second, or it was the NBA, which we're going to get into a little bit in greater detail this episode as well, just tons and tons of hoops to talk about. It was a jam-packed weekend. So before we get into our guests, we got two guests this week, two recurring guests. We're going to talk what happened in Sweet 16 Elite Eight. We're going to talk some NBA. Just got to start off by St. Peter's. What a run it was in the NCAA tournament. They fall to the UNC Tar Heels. Got absolutely smoked by the Tar Heels, but an incredible, incredible run. For a 15 seed to make it to the Elite Eight, just an incredible, incredible run. Can't believe that it got that far. I mean, their win against Purdue in the Sweet 16 on Friday night was nuts. They held Jaden Ivey, who's going to be a top four pick, to nine points and largely shut him down. Just an incredible run by them. An incredible run, but it had to come to an end. 
And there was no more fitting way than in the Elite Eight. That was not a Final Four team. I don't think anybody really wanted to see St. Peter's in the Final Four. Doug and his mustache and all his glory, but it was time to get back to the heavy hitters to play in the Final Four. But an incredible run by St. Peter's. Just awesome, awesome. And Kansas, shout out to Kansas, who had gone under the radar. We talked about it on this show. All the one seeds were like, Kansas is kind of the weakest besides for Baylor. And it was only because of all the injuries to Baylor. But Kansas rolls through. They're in the final four. Joining them is Villanova, who won an absolute rock fight. But Villanova's back in the final four. And Duke, who's been the most impressive team so far. Everybody's national nightmare of Duke winning a national championship in Coach K's final year may come true. So right now, going into next weekend, we've got Duke against UNC. This is happening for the first time in NCAA tournament history, which is crazy. Kansas against Villanova. For all the wildness that happens up until now, look at those last four teams. Those are blue blood programs. And yes, Villanova is a blue blood program. So even with all the craziness, you still have a lot of classics in the final four. Should be an interesting weekend. On to the NBA real quick. I know I talked about it a little bit, but right now the Boston Celtics, at the time of this recording, who were under 500 at one point, not that long ago, are now number one in the East. Now the East, the top four seeds are separated by a game and a half. It's crazy bunched up at the top. But the Boston Celtics right now are the number one spot in the East, and they've been killing teams, absolutely killing teams. They're up 20 points in the first half in so many of these games, and it doesn't matter who. It doesn't matter at home. It doesn't matter on the road. They're just going on just murdering fools. Crazy, absolutely crazy. It's time for another apology. Jason Tatum. I call Jason Tatum arguably the second most overrated player in the league. Well, Jason Tatum is making me look like an idiot because he's been incredible, absolutely incredible. We're going to talk to a recurring guest, a Celtics fan, and I'm going to have to eat crow on this, but what a run by the Celtics. Now, do I think the Celtics are going to make the finals? All the projections, like 538 says they will. No, I I, I still will default to Milwaukee. But given the way the Celtics play defense, do I like them in a series against the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, I mean, Kevin Durant scares me, but the Celtics have really ratcheted up. And I think the Sixers, I'll get to them in a second, I think the Celtics can handle them too. And don't get me started with the Bulls. The Bulls are out of it. And I don't think the Heat can score enough. And the Heat have faltered and come back down to earth. And we had the whole Jimmy Butler blow up. But yeah, the Celtics, super, super impressive. Jason Tatum has been incredible. And as I said, I'm not sure he's an all-NBA caliber guy. Well, he's going to be probably second-team all-NBA because he's gone on an absolute tear since I said that the Celtics should trade Jason Tatum. What do you know? What do you know? I I put it out there for him to prove me wrong, and he has. Another team that has been killing fools all year, and this isn't a recent run. This has been all year. The Phoenix Suns are 61 and 14. 61 and 14. They've done it with Devin Booker out of the lineup. They've done it with Chris Paul out of the lineup. And Devin Booker has been on a crazy tear recently. 
and then started with Chris Paul being out. And now that Chris Paul is back, Devin Booker's been incredible, absolutely incredible. For a guy who I questioned his toughness after he complained about a double team in a pickup game, in a summer run in a pickup game, complaining about double teams, I thought that was the softest move I've seen in a while. But he's got a nasty streak now. And it's clear that Chris Paul has rubbed off on him in all the right ways. And he's been really, really good. Now, again, I always compare these two because they're kind of the same in terms of age, in terms of where they are in the league, him and Donovan Mitchell. Would I still favor Mitchell? Push comes to shove. Yes, because let's not forget that Booker hasn't made the playoffs without Chris Paul. But that doesn't mean that what he's accomplished the last two years is any less awesome. Devin Booker is awesome. And he's developing into a stone-cold killer. Now, for everybody who's claiming that Devin Booker should be top three in the MVP voting, that's nonsense. I mean, come on. He's not Giannis. He's not Embiid. He's not Jokic. But he's been absolutely, absolutely incredible. So I just talked about the Suns a little bit. They had a big game yesterday against the Philadelphia 76ers, who were going into yesterday were number one in the East. A barometer-type game. You know, how do the top teams stack up against each other? And what do you know? Joel Embiid shows up, 37 points, 14 rebounds, monster game. Philadelphia has a lead. But who's the his sidekick? Who's the guy they mortgaged a lot of assets for? None other than James Harden. And what do you see? In a big, prove-it type game, James Harden. Two for 11, can't beat guys off the dribble. I want to say I told you so, so I'm going to say it again. I told you so, all right? This is a preview of what's to come in the playoffs. James Harden isn't that dude. In any big game, he's going to come up small. And I think that the Philadelphia 76ers have mortgaged Joel Embiid's prime by trading for James Harden. And if they don't win the title in the next two years, are they going to pay that guy a max extension? I wouldn't. I mean, maybe it will work itself out because Tyrese Maxey is turning into a really, really good player. So that will soften the blow. But man, this Harden trade, I was skeptical. And it looks like for a change, I'm going to be proven right about this. I, I, I told you so. The Philadelphia 76ers, it's just not happening. It's not happening with James Harden. I, I, I told you so, and I'll continue to tell you so, and I'll continue be, to be proven right about this guy because he's lost a step. He doesn't keep himself in good shape, and now it's starting to catch up to him as he gets older. And his hunting for fouls isn't working as much anymore. I mean, there was one play yesterday, and Rosillo and Simmons talked about it, where he had Devin Booker, who I wouldn't call a great defensive player, but he's shown more effort on that end of the floor recently, now that the Phoenix Suns are competitive and winning tons of games. And Harden tried to do the dribble-dribble shit. Booker didn't go for it. He tried to bait him into a foul. Booker just stood there and, like, kind of laughed at him and nothing. And the result is two for 11, 11 points, 
it's just not going to happen for James Harden and the Philadelphia 76ers. So that was part one of the ATH trifecta. Part two, the Lakers, who are currently 12 games under 500. Well, after last night's result, we're up 23 points against the Pelicans and blew it. And right now, sit a half a game up on the San Antonio Spurs for the final spot in the play-in tournament. Let me repeat that. The Los Angeles Lakers, who apparently employ the greatest player of all time, are 12 games under 500 and are a half a game up on the play-in tournament of the San Antonio Spurs. Not a very talent-rich roster from the San Antonio Spurs. Not a lot of star power, not unlike the mighty Lakers. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And for the third leg of the trifecta was the Brooklyn Nets. And Kyrie Irving finally playing home games after New York changed the COVID laws and the vaccine mandate laws. And what do you know? It was supposed to be a coronation for Kyrie Irving, who's been on a tear, as I mentioned last episode. And the Charlotte Hornets come in. LaMelo Ball has a monster game, shoves it down Kyrie's face. And Charlotte takes care of business and beats the Nets. And the Nets are now in ninth place in the East. Now, again, am I still a little scared of the Nets now that they're full strength or almost at full strength with Kyrie going to be playing all the games and Kevin Durant? Yes, because Kevin Durant is that good. But, man, yesterday was just absolutely awesome, as I mentioned on my Instagram, uh, in my Instagram story. And just one thing, because the last thing I mentioned in my Instagram story was that nobody cares about the Oscars. And I know normally talk about pop culture on this podcast, except for when, you know, The Bachelor's going on. We analyze The Bachelor. But... When I said nobody cares about the Oscars, I did not anticipate the most viral moment in the history of viral moments happening with Chris Rock getting slapped in the face by Will Smith after Chris Rock made a joke, an alopecia joke, a bald joke about Jada Pinkett Smith. Now, I I don't want to get into the whole thing. You saw what happened. Chris Rock made a joke. Will Smith initially was laughing at the joke. His wife was not too happy. So then Will Smith gets up there, tries to act macho, slaps Chris Rock in the face, just the softest move by Will Smith, and then starts yelling at him to keep her name out of his mouth. Just an absolute joke, an absolute joke by Will Smith. I mean, think about it this way. When you break it down, and and I had people tell me, like, Aaron, you have to think of both sides of the story. It's not that cut and dry. Well, it actually is, all right? And anybody who doesn't see it this way, I I really think less of you as a human being. So a comedian is hosting a stuffy award show and is supposed to make jokes, all right? That's what comedians do. Said comedian makes a joke about a woman starring in G.I. Jane because she's going with the bald head look And yeah, she's got alopecia, so she shaves her head, but that's a joke, all right? And her husband takes exception to this, even though Jada Pinkett Smith has embarrassed Will Smith publicly numerous, numerous times. We had the whole entanglement incident, all right, where he gets on 60 Minutes 
Jada Pinkett Smith explains how she had an affair with this young rapper who's basically the same age as her son. Will Smith has to take it, say that we're in an open relationship. That guy gets offended by an G.I. Jane joke and then loses his cool, slaps the comedian who, again, is making jokes. Was the, was the joke a little below the belt? Sure. I thought it was funny. Some people didn't. Whatever. Not a big deal. All right. If you think it's not funny, deal with it after the show. Will Smith to go up there and slap the guy was just crazy. So I'm team Chris Rock on this. First of all, he didn't even stutter. He he ate it like a champ, didn't fall down, kind of recouped himself. Will Smith looks like Charmin Soft, absolutely Charmin Soft, looks like a grade A loser out of this. And then he gives his acceptance speech for winning the Academy Award for Best Actor, which I actually really liked his performance in King Richard, and I liked that movie. Just incredible. I mean, Will Kane tweeted this out, and it was really, really appropriate. And by the way, Twitter was amazing last night. So many good jokes. I was up way later than I should have been. I was just cackling, laughing. But Will Kane tweeted out, this wasn't about standing up for your wife. This was about Will Smith and only Will Smith. And it's just a shame that a guy who was once the coolest man in America, who played Mike Lowry in Bad Boys, has now become Charmin Soft and, and embarrasses himself in just such a monster way. Just a crazy moment. Crazy moment. No one generally cares about the Oscars, but last night that changed after I said that. And with that said, we're going to stop talking about the Oscars. We're going to stop talking about the downfall of Will Smith. And we're going to bring on recurring guests to talk about a little hoops in just a matter of moments. This episode of the For the Love of the Game show on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Athletic Greens. Tons of people are taking multivitamins, and it's important to choose the one that is top top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and more. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. I'm 35 years old. I still like to get after it athletically, and I have tried Athletic Greens, and it's awesome. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar, no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water per day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens will give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's athleticgreens.com slash B-L-E-A-V to get started. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. He's back again, everybody's favorite college sports analyst, Mr. Jordan Marks. Jordan, so the St. Peter's run has come to an end. Your thoughts? Honestly, it was a, it was a hell of a run. It was a hell of a run, but here we are at the end of the day with or blue blood universities and should make for an absolutely awesome time in new Orleans this weekend. So, uh, yeah, let's do it for all the craziness. That was the first couple of rounds left standing are Kansas. who has been there a lot recently. 
North Carolina, you know, blue blood program, Duke blue blood program and Villanova who's won two of the last six titles. So there's a lot of chalk. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of chalk. There's a lot of chalk. Um, and, and, you know, it's for all, for all the upsets there are, and usually in the first, the first round and the round of 32, um, and, and the amazing story that St. Peter's was. And trust me, I would love to be talking to you about a St. Peter's Duke game. Um, but at the same time, I'm so thrilled to still have all these teams. And anyone who says this is boring should just go fly a kite because that's, they don't know shit. And this is going to be an awesome time. And it gives us the opportunity to have what we've never had in the NCAA tournament before Duke and Carolina squared off in the final four. It could be coach K's last game losing to UNC, which is what everybody in America should be rooting for. That's, that's as good as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as I, I, you know, despise everything that is Duke from just a, anything from a cultural standpoint to, uh, to, you know, Leitner and, and, and everything that went, what came after, but it, it's still pretty cool that K is there. And the fact that UNC is there and, and, you know, the UNC fan base, which is, you know, one of the craziest, if not the craziest near Kentucky um, wanted to fire Hubie, you know, maybe two months ago when they lost to Pitt. Now Hubie's made the final four in his first season. So truly, truly surreal. Um, and yeah, can't wait, can't wait for that match. So from the round of Sweet 16 to the Elite Eight, what were, you know, the things that stood out to you the most in terms of the games? Obviously, there wasn't as much of the drama in terms of the, the close games. And you kind of have to expect that considering there isn't just the sheer number of games like in the first two rounds. But what stood out to you from the, uh, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament? Yeah, um, yeah, so I think the second weekend, um, if we just take it region by region, there's a little storylines in each region. So um, in, in that region that, that Duke took it took it home in the West, I think the big storyline was Gonzaga going down. And Gonzaga failing to make the Final Four um, after their a one seed yet again. It's, you know, as much as, much as I don't, you know, think that Mark Few um, is flawed, it's, it's hard to avoid it at this point. Um, yet, yet, when you're a one seed, you get the easiest path there. And just the way that they were, you know, stifled by Arkansas and then that, you know, up and down team and, and the way they weren't shooting well. And just it, it, it really, you know, it's, it's going to just keep putting more and more pressure and keep raising the bar for, for the Zags to, to get it and cut the nets down. For as close as they were last year, this year was, you know, they should have lost to Memphis prior to that. So, um it, that that's the big storyline from the West region. This era of Gonzaga, where they've kind of established themselves into basically a blue blood program in a sense where they're getting top recruits, they're getting all these NBA, you know, high lottery, you know, pick type talents. And to come away with, with no titles out of this. And, and I think I heard that next year's recruiting class is not what I would call like, stellar for Gonzaga like is this like a little bit of a disappointment and are, are we going to go back to Gonzaga being like the plucky 8-9 seed that makes makes a sweet 16 and that'd be successful like what do we make of Gonzaga's run now 
I think to think that they're going to drop off to an eight, nine seed is, is wild, but no, I mean, next year, you're right. They're not, they're not in on any big prospects, but I also think these past two years has, have been absurd, but Gonzaga's always made their hay through, uh, through transfer portal. And I, and I see no reason that they're not going to do that again. Um, he, he's good for a reason. I do think that you're going to, you know, a lot of their guys this year aren't necessarily NBA prospects. And this year, because of NIL, it now you have to weigh the alternatives. I looked it up. The average G League salary is $35,000. Now, granted, you could be a better G League player and make more money, but a guy like Drew Timmy, who everybody thinks is out the door, for what? You know, why, why not come back and make 100, 200 grand at Gonzaga off NIL money? So I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I assume he's going to test the waters. I, I, everyone tests the waters now. There's no, there's yeah. nothing barring you from that. So right, because they so changed we'll the rules. I mean, the ultimate, yeah, the ultimate story though there is is that K is in the final four. So, um, and 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 you know, this whole week leading up is going to be about this match uh, with North Carolina. So that that's awesome. So Bill Simmons's buddy uh, House suggested that Chet Holmgren come back one more year and basically prove that he can be. Um, you know, the end-all and be-all higher usage guy like he was in high school. I mean, I can't imagine that he would, considering he's going to be a top-four pick, but that would be an interesting thing. But, yeah, no, it, this region is all has really been about Duke. I know we talk about Gonzaga because they were the number one overall seed. And the number two overall seed in Arizona, basically, when Gonzaga fell, they were like, hold my beer, we're going to do the same stuff. Um, but yeah, no, the story is Duke and honestly, Duke has been the most impressive team, uh, throughout this entire thing. And Paolo Bancaro, when people were having doubts about him as an NBA prospect really showed some stuff because their sweet 16 game, when they were pulling it, like they really needed him to be, you know, top three level prospect. Good. Like he showed the playmaking, he showed the, uh, the footwork in the post. And it was really impressive, but even with him being as great as he was, the story is the point guard Roach who gets them in good spots all the time, gets them good shots. I know he didn't start to start the year. You know, they were starting more in keels because they were the higher um, touted prospects, but Roach has been the story for them. He's been the glue. Roach Roach has been a remarkable. Um, And you know that yeah, beating that Texas Tech team was was just another another notch on on their belt because that Texas Tech team was a super aggressive, athletic defensive team and um, yeah, truly a testament to them because Paolo and, and especially Roach had a, had a lights out game, um, and then the Arkansas game, which yeah, they kind of, kind of they kind of ran away with it in the first half, but it wasn't by any means just a trouncing. Arkansas came back a little in the second half. Um, and again, that was a game where Paolo was awesome, but AJ Griffin was amazing in that game too. So um, all around, like when you look at these four teams, I mean, there's to me, there's no doubt which team has the most talent and the highest ceiling, which is probably why they're, which is, and again, crazy that this is K's last year, but a walk-off national championship is, is likely at this point. <laughs> well, we can't, we can't have this happen. <laughs> so let's talk happen. Let's talk about the East region a little and the storyline there. And the storyline there is, is Hubie and this is eight seed. I mean, forget the St. Peter's game because eventually that, that magic was going to end. And, 
and Baycott just dominated. But the UCLA game was amazing. And what Caleb Love did in that game was nothing short of a superhuman performance. Maybe the performance of the tournament, honestly. It was he was unbelievable in that game. Dropped the 30 piece. And, and we said it before that that guards, dynamic guards are the key to going far in the tournament. And RJ Davis and Caleb Love are, are that tandem. They're that That's they're good. that good. I mean, UNC. I know they had an up and down year, and and so did the uh, the ACC was down as as a whole. But like, let's not forget, kind of like how Michigan made the Sweet Sixteen as an eleven seed, you know, bowed out, but still an impressive run. But Michigan was a top ten team before the season started, right? UNC was a top twenty team before the season started, so there was pedigree here, right? And I mean, we predicted it beforehand, but this should. Not be the biggest surprise. I mean, I did think they were gonna. I didn't think they were gonna beat UCLA because I was high in UCLA. But it was. I mean, this should not be so surprising. They and they and UCLA didn't shoot the ball great, but again, it was it was really all Caleb. I mean, he was amazing in that game. So um, yeah, that that that's a story. I mean, we we talked about the Peacocks enough, but to get that extra win over Purdue was was just really surreal and i i saw this um this, i showed you that meme with shaheen holloway but that's yeah he's just he's out the door to seton hall so um just again an amazing story and it's it's hard to not you know mention it one more time because it's historic and we're always going to remember that saint peter's team i wonder how many of his guys are going to join him yeah i, I absolutely i i don't think anyone's obs- I don't think anyone's upset. I don't think the fans are upset because they're St. Peter's, right? They, this, this was great for their program. I don't think the players are upset because like, what do you expect? The guy's got to get his. Um, and, and I'm sure a few of them are going to come with him. So we'll see. And he played for them, had a great career for them. Like th- this is the next logical step. The St. Peter's UNC game. You saw that game was over within the first two and a half minutes. First three minutes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, when UNC went up 9 nothing, and it was like St. Peter's was missing shots, and they weren't even getting great shots. You're just like, all right. Like, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a, a wow. with, They stuck in there with Purdue because they were just grinding and making it so difficult for Edie and Travion to just get buckets. Um, and Aiden Ivy looked completely lost. Lost. And, and yeah, that, you could, we could save that for another podcast, but that's – he has major questions uh, that he's going to have to f- answer in the combine and, and so on. But he's the type of guy who's going to wow in the combine. And we've seen this. Like, okay, you could say the same thing about Jabari Smith, as we said on our last episode. You know, yeah. like just a just a crap game in the tournament, and it happens. But you're going to get to the combine. Jabari Smith is going to show, you know, in workouts how he can shoot. And it's just going to be in a, he's going to be a top four pick, probably with one or two. And Jaden Ivey, same kind of thing, like. I've heard that Jaden Ivey should be the second pick in the draft after Jabari Smith, which wow. I don't know well enough to to um, to make that determination yet. But he's going to be top four, and but it, it's amazing yeah, Paolo, how they shut him down. Paolo's not done yet, so we'll see. No, he's not done yet. He's he's the last man standing of the of the top four. Let's talk yeah. about Kansas for a little bit. Yeah. We kind of questioned Kansas. This isn't Bill Self's most talented team. 
we thought this region would be weird. I picked Iowa in the bracket to come out of this region. That didn't age very well. Uh, what do you make of this Kansas team? Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. It's not it's not Bill Self's most talented team, and and this has always been a thing. They've they've got to so many elite eights, right? And then they just bow out. And you know, the COVID year was also a year where Kansas was probably going to be a one seed, and you know, maybe make a final, have you be favored to make a final four. But um, and I think Kansas fans would probably agree with that. But I don't know, man. They're 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 taking it to another level in this tournament, and um, you know, Ochai Abaji hasn't been the guy. You know, and then that's the, that's the NBA guy who you think would be, you know, the guy. Um, but, you know, Kansas, Kansas has been great. They've been defending really well. Um, and, you know, between Christian Brown and, and Jalen Wilson, they're shooting the ball really well, um, really difficult to guard. But Remy Martin's really the guy who's took it up a notch. And he's the guy who we thought preseason would make the difference for Kansas. You know, transfer from Arizona State, was Pac-12 player of the year. And he, he is, I'm sorry, first team all pack 12. He is, has been great in this tournament and a point guard like that really changes how you play. It, Agbaji has, you know, and Reggie Miller called him out on a broadcast. Like it sounded ridiculous when Reggie Miller called him out, but like, that he's just not aggressive enough. Kenny Smith was talking about it. And you kind of thought that they were like sleeping in that game against Miami. And then all of a sudden the second half, like they just bum rushed them. And that game basically flipped within the first two minutes of the second half. But it's amazing that a team like Kansas with the, uh, the pedigree that they have, you know, the brand name that they have, have gone under the radar this year as much as they have. Like, it's just wild. It, I was, yeah, I, when we were talking about it, I was just like, yeah, everyone's just sleeping on Kansas. I think it's because this region, and we and we did label this as the easiest region, right? Because, you know, you had the questions with Providence and Wisconsin and Auburn, who was stumbling down the stretch. Um, and we said, like, you know, Kansas has got the best gift of a region, um, but nobody's really been talking about Kansas. Uh, people were talking about Baylor more than they were talking about Kansas. Um, so, yeah, it's... It's crazy, but Bill Self, you know, Hall of Fame coach, and he's here again. So, and that leaves us with Villanova, who's back right. at it again. Jay Wright doing Jay Wright things in the tournament. I mean, what are your thoughts on Villanova? I mean, th- that game that they won in the Elite Eight was absolutely disgusting to watch, just horrible. But yeah, it is what it is. Survive in advance. Yeah, unfortunately, like it. It's very hard to talk about Villanova with not men- without mentioning Justin Moore who yeah. popped his ACL. So it's like a huge shadow that's over that game right now. Um, it, it, with that, they, they only really play six guys. So when you lose your second leading scorer, it, it's tough. But not great. You know, but let's just talk about Villanova. And, and you know, I think Houston was probably everybody's favorite. Um, you know, after they beat Arizona, I think I think most. Um, most predictive metrics had them as the favorite to cut down the nets. So um, I think they were favored. They were the betting yeah. favorite going into that game. Yeah, they, they actually were um, over Duke. And um, what Villanova did, uh, just grinding them down. And, and and granted, I think Houston went like one of 20 from three. So, you know, threes are weird. And when you shoot like that, you're not going to win any basketball games. No. Um, but you're, yeah, it was a 50 to 44, you know, slugfest. Um, but, you know, it's not much to say. Colin Gillespie is awesome. 
Um, he did not have a particularly good game, but no, he did no, no. stuff late. No, he, he didn't have a great game. It was mostly Jermaine Samuels, but um, Colin Gillespie was was great prior to that. And, and you know, the, the win over Michigan was also Michigan just missing free throws and um, just, you know, not really get hitting the big shots when, when they needed them. Um, but, yeah, Villanova's – they don't really make mistakes, right? And the free throw thing is crazy. This is a historically great free throw team. I think I, I saw, like, uh, in the past, like, 15 years, only Harvard has been has, – has a year where they shot, like, 84% as a team from, from free throw, which is crazy. They went 15 for 15 in this game against Houston. Um, and that's just – you know, that's something that winning teams do. So, um unfortunately without Justin Moore, I, I don't, you know, it's, it's tough. They're going to have to have someone step up um, and we'll see who that's going to be. But yeah, Jay Wright's there again. And it's, you know, it's unbelievable because this is a modern day blue blood. The free throw percentage as a team is one of those like metrics that everybody before the tournament looks at now is like an indication for successful teams. And it makes sense because these are college kids, right? Like they're nervous. And if their nerves get to them they're gonna miss free throws and that's how you lose games but villanova clearly does not do that and they've been winning games so all right so we have our final four who do you what do you think is gonna be the matchup yeah i mean i think i know where you're leaning but yeah i think i mean i'm i i think i'm leaning to kansas um but it's so hard to pick against Duke after watching them play those two games. Uh, and, and then the, the Villanova thing, I, I might pick Villanova, but the Justin Moore thing's killing me. So, I, I mean, I would think Duke, Kansas, and, you know, I hate to say it, but it's hard not, you know, not to think that Duke's going to win that game. The way they're playing, they're, they're so good on both ends. They're, they've become a great defensive team too. Mark Williams. And I, I think I texted you about him. Yeah. I, he he looks like a pro to me. I, he, he's amazing. Well, he's he's going to be in the first round. He's probably going to be in the late lottery, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, so it's uh, they they've they're, they excel on both ends, and you know I I can see North Carolina giving them giving them definitely a tough fight. Brady Maddox, a guy who again we we didn't mention this podcast yet, but he's adding like if he adds five or six threes in a game, it, it's tough. A lot of tough to guard yeah. them. So I mean, we'll we'll see, um, but. Yeah, Duke, Duke, Kansas is what I'm thinking that we're going to see that on that Monday night in, in New Orleans. That's the way I'm leaning to. But I, but I think if UNC can pull this out, <laughs> I do think UNC can cut the nets down. Like I, I, something about that game tells me that the winner is going to win the whole thing. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder how much the actual mental pressure on the Duke players, or if it's gone now, because now it's just, let's play basketball. We're having fun, but they're in a rhythm. They're in a great, great rhythm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of media. The problem is with, with going to the final four now with the, um, you know, just the logistics in terms of the travel, the time off, like you hear all the press clippings, you have to do, you know, press and all that kind of stuff. Like the best thing for Duke would just to be to play every two to three days because they're just rolling. So maybe, you know, the media and all those, you know, availabilities and responsibilities get to them and throw them off their scent. But as much as I, uh, I hate to say it, I, it, they look really impressive right now. 
But I do yeah. think the winner of that Duke-UNC game is going to cut the nets down. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And again, but you're also dealing with Kay, and he's been here so many times, and he, know, he, knows, how, he knows how to tell these young kids, you know, the, the media is, is crazy. It's not like the Sweet 16. It's not like the first of the round or the round of 32 or your conference tournament. The media is every national journalist is in New Orleans who covers college basketball, even remotely. Most national journalists who cover any sports might be in New Orleans. Yep. So it's, it's, there's going to be a lot. There's going to be a lot at Paolo. There's going to be a lot at all of them. And we'll see. It should be, these are two great, four great basketball teams. Can't wait for Saturday. Can't wait for Monday. It's going to be awesome. It should be a great, great Final Four weekend and hopefully a championship game. And Jordan, we may have to talk about it afterwards on Monday. And just to recap what happened, like we've done every step of the way again, as you know, I always appreciate the time and uh, you coming on. You're, you're a pro at this, just like I am. The cousin Sal to my Bill Simmons. And let's have ourselves a weekend, dude. Let's have ourselves a weekend. Last weekend of what's been a tremendously entertaining tournament. Hope it continues. We have a great weekend of basketball. All right, dude. All right, we'll talk soon. Speak soon. Thanks so much for doing it. Later. So I teased it in the monologue. We're going back to some NBA roots because at my core, I'm an NBA guy. We're bringing on a recurring guest whose favorite basketball team, even though it should be the Denver Nuggets because he did end up living in Denver for a little bit, but he says he's a Celtics fan, so we'll we'll humor him tonight. Uh, The Celtics are on a crazy tear. And then they get some unfortunate injury news at the time of my recording. uh, When I recorded the monologue, the Celtics were actually number one in the East after being like under 500. I think they're like 17 and 19. Now they've fallen back to four because they lost the game. The East is crazy. We're going to talk about it a little bit with uh, recurring guest, Avi Wexler. He's back. Avi, what's good, bud? Hey, thanks for having me on, Tope. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I figured after we, we cash some, uh, winning bets uh, on Super Bowl props that uh, you earned your stripes to come back on and talk about the Celtics a little bit. So obviously the, the, um, the enthusiasm is dampered a little bit with the, uh, the Robert Williams MCL injury, but like, I guess we'll take it before that. Like, did you see the turnaround coming? Cause this was a team that I, I had chronicled a little bit before. There was the Jalen-Jason Tatum power struggle. I famously said that I thought that they should trade Jason Tatum. That was partially because I thought they could fetch more back for him. I didn't think he could necessarily be a, a top, like, two all-NBA guy. I think that's actually going to change this year. And we'll get into our ballots in a little bit. But, but did you see this turnaround coming? Because this was an incredibly frustrating team to watch as everybody – or I should say every media member from Boston – has uh, chronicled over on their podcast. Like, like, what has this turnaround been for you? Well, I, I mean, I was along uh, the lines of those other fans and reporters who were like, all right, here's another middling Celtics team. We'll hover around 500, and then they'll get knocked out in the first round by whomever. Um, and I wasn't on the you got to separate the Jays talk because, mm-hmm. to me, it didn't really make any sense to get rid of them when the youth plus the money and the resources that you've dedicated to them, it wouldn't have made sense. I think like with, especially when Ainge left and Stevens took over, I think he was like, Stevens was like, I need to at least see the experiment from 
a little bit uh, further away perspective as a GM, not being as their day-to-day head coach, because that does give you some details. But when you're right. constructing a roster and you're in a new role, you kind of are like, well, what am I looking for? Oh, I'm looking for at least two interchangeable guards offensively and defensively. One's definitely better than the other Tatum being better than Brown, but like, it's not like Tatum is just some schlub. Like Tatum is like, I don't know, like an Andrew Wiggins type of player, like a, a good wing who can Brown. hit threes. Yeah. Brown, sorry. Brown who can hit a few like threes and can defend multiple positions. And, you know, it from a team building standpoint and them both being very young, like I'd rather hold on to those guys and separate them. I'm happy that they, held on to them and that now they built around what they needed to do. But I have to like give a lot of credit to, I feel like Yudoka, the coach who was looking like he had no business being a coach uh, in leading going into December, even as early as it was going into his coaching tenure. But I mean, I want to I, I go back on one thing just for the, um, just for the, the trading one of the two. Sure. Right. So they were never going to trade Tatum, even though that I suggested it. Correct. Um, so, and, and the whole thing was like, you've had how many years of this now before this crazy stretch where they've been annihilating teams, right? Mm-hmm. But they were basically a 500 team since the bubble, right? Yes. Basically a 500 team. And you're just like, eh, like, what are we doing here? Right. right. And these guys are young enough where they could fetch you a lot back. And more so than just the return of the asset, it's just switching it up and not doing the same thing over and over again that's yielding the same result right so like in a theoretical world if they were gonna if they were offering Jalen Brown right let's say that the Memphis Grizzlies and I think both teams probably wouldn't do it and it's probably better that both teams didn't but let's say the trade was on the table it was like Jalen Brown goes to the Grizzlies for Desmond Bain and I'm trying to DeAnthony Melton and a pick I don't think they do it for anything less than Jaron Jackson being in that deal, in my opinion. And I think like, that's one of those. And I think that's a trade where as someone who loves uh, trades in fantasy football, fantasy basketball, whatever, anytime a trade makes both teams squirm, that usually means it's a pretty good trade because they're giving up a guy who they've brought up through their system and they think highly of, but you know, there's value both ways, either way. So. You want to get – you got to give something to get something, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. like Memphis is not a stupid team, and neither is the um, – neither are the Celtics in this regard, which is why I was having this argument about R.J. Barrett and Donovan Mitchell trades, but whatever. That was a whole other – whole other thing. But, yeah, so, the, so they, it was just the dueling banjos thing, right? Like, it was, you know, Tatum controls the, the offense – gets in his one-on-one dribble-dribble, as the kids call it, bag, right? Then Jalen Brown would do the same thing. And these guys are about the same age. They're trying to make all-star teams. Both made it last year. Tatum made it again this year. And there was – not that they didn't – don't like each other, but there's obviously a power struggle because young guys are trying to establish themselves in the league, right? Well, well, what happened now is that Tatum took a crazy leap, and we've seen flashes of this – but now this is the longest stretch of this incredible play where it looks like he's a top eight, 10 guy in the game. Mm-hmm. And exactly. Jalen kind of fell back a little bit. And, and now things kind of fell into place. Cause at the, at the end of the day, there has to be some type of pecking order. So what was Tatum doing differently that kind of got him 
to that point where the pecking order has been restored in your opinion? So I think a big part of where the season turned around was also this like kind of boiling point that you're alluding to here where like there needed to be a pecking order established. There needed to be some type of, uh, I guess, role establishment where who's going to be the top dog, who's going to be second, who's going to be the next. And like leading up, like since the bubble, basically uh, with the rotation of like Kyrie and then Kemba point guard for the team, there was always just like this weird, like, okay, he's the veteran point guard. So he's going to be the creator and establisher. And that's how the offense is going to work. When those two guys were gone, they were kind of rudderless. And then Marcus smart was the guy who was point guard. And the issue was like late in games, as you were saying, it would be dribble, 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 ISO, 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 no ball movement. And then even if we're up five with two minutes left, I'm like, there's no way we're winning this game. And we would blow all these like 15 point leads early on in the season. I think we blew like 15 point, 15 different games where we were up by 10 points within like five minutes left. So I think there was like some type of boiling point where they had a team meeting and Marcus got in their faces and was like, Hey, you guys are the stars. You need to pass the ball more. And they were like, Hey, you're going to be the point guard. We need you to, be a point guard and distribute the ball. And then, you know, Tatum starts hitting his shots. I think Jalen was out for a little bit, either with COVID or he had, he had like some nagging injury. He was out for a couple of weeks and that's when they started their streak. And then at that point, I mean, Tatum was just ascending and Jalen kind of took the backseat willingly and was like, Hey, like you just got to keep feeding the hot hand. But the biggest thing I think was they were all realizing like, Hey, like everybody on this team, if we just move the ball around from an offensive perspective, we're going to score. And that's kind of what happened. So instead of Tatum driving at three guys and throwing up his hands every time he doesn't get a foul call, uh, he would drive and then he would kick out to Grant Williams, who was starting to hit threes. Jalen Brown starting to hit threes. Marcus Smart, extra pass, extra pass. Robert Williams, amazing uh, offensive and defensive growth on his end. That, you know, I think everybody's kind of bought into the message like, hey, these are our roles as a team. Jason is going to be our one Jalen's our two Marcus is our point guard. And from there, everybody else just plays a role. So I think that's kind of that pecking order was established. And then since then, that's why they've been on such a hot streak. And the trade for Derek white, even though Derek white has not shot the ball well has helped because he's a ball mover, right? He's a guy who gets in there and he's a ball mover, but it's, you mentioned Marcus smart. And besides for Tatum's ascent, you know, Marcus smart being the point guard, has been a huge, huge difference. And I am on record, I am not a Marcus Smart guy, right? I was never a Marcus Smart guy. He always came off to me as the guy who's like, he's the guy in the pickup game who's the I got this guy. Yep. Who's like, but you don't want him to be the I got this guy, especially when it comes to shooting threes because he's not a good three-point shooter. But recently, like, he's embraced the pass-first point guard thing. Which, and again, he was never really allowed to do that, considering, like, look at all the point guards he played with, right? Isaiah Thomas. Yep. Not not what I would call a pass-first guy. No. Uh, Kyrie Irving. Not a pass-first guy. No. Uh, Kemba Walker. Not necessarily, like, a ball mover pass-first guy. So now he's able to do that, and and it looks better, and... He's a big reason why, and I've been reluctant on this Celtics thing, partially because of Celtics fans, uh, partially because of Boston sports fans are insufferable as a whole, but it's really impressive. Um, And then, you know, the Robert Williams injury. 
Mm-hmm. So, so did you think before the injury and, and I've, I guess this will transition into where, where we see the, the Eastern conference, which is incredibly jumbled up at the top, right. With the top four teams. Um, did you, I, I've always been defaulting towards the bucks. Like I haven't moved off that position even before the injury news. Um, did you think the Celtics before the injury news were on the same footing as the Bucs or, or basically close, like they really closed the gap. And now given where the, uh, you know, the injury is that he's going to be out for, for a while, at least six weeks, probably. Um, where do you think they stand in the pecking order of Eastern conference teams? Uh, yeah. So good question. I think before the Robert Williams injury, as good as he was, I still thought that, the Bucks, at least the Bucks' big three was a little bit more complete and they had a better rapport with each other uh, that they, and like some of their role players were actually still the better team, not heads and shoulders above, but you know, shoulders above, let's just say like they, they were, they were definitely the better team. And I still, and even now after the injury, I still think they are the better team. Uh, I don't know. Like last night there was the Giannis and bead game and Giannis just took Embiid to task. I mean, just, a phenomenal game. Drew Holiday, a perfect two-way player. Chris Milton, a great role player who knows when to pick his spots. And they just they they just have like this ability, especially after last year going through the championship. They have this. We've done it before. We can do it with this group. And as good as I feel about the Celtics before inj- before the Martin the Robert Williams injury, before after the Robert Williams injury, I'd still say the Bucks are the favorite team. Mm-hmm. The Celtics are not close, but not far away. I'd still say the Celtics are. I'd, in my opinion, the second best team in the conference. It's funny you mentioned the uh, the Philly game last night, um, and I know he uh, he had a good shooting game, James yeah. Harden, my guy, <laughs> your guy, until the, the fourth quarter when it really mattered, and he missed his last four shots and he bricked a step back three. But whatever, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you would have the Celtics still as the second best team in the East right now. Yes. I would tend, I would tend to agree with you. With the one caveat is, and again, Kevin Durant is so freaking good. Oh God! And I know he's so freaking good that, and maybe the the maybe the the Nets are just rope a doping everybody that they're going to care some nights. They're not going to care some other nights. And then when the playoffs start, they're just going to care constantly. But for a team that's lacked continuity all year. So I can't put them to, even though they probably scare me like the most in a single game. So oh, yeah. I probably, I have the cell. I have the bucks one. Yeah. I, I think the bucks are actually going to repeat as, as champions. Okay. Um, I have the Celtics two. I have the Heat three. I have the Philadelphia 76ers four. And and that's sort of my order. I'm not scared of the Bulls. Correct. Uh, like yeah, frauds. Absolute frauds. Uh, yeah. And and the Lonzo injury, like it's not hundred percent fair to the Bulls. No. Because Lonzo's been out. Caruso's missed a lot of games. Lonzo may not be back for the rest of the year. I just Vucevic is going to get hunted on defense. Yep. The Rose is going to get hunted on defense. Yep. Zach Levine, 
you know, holds up okay defensively, but it's just it's just not there. I, yeah, they're, they're they're too inexperienced, and I think that the the Cinderella story of of, DeRa- of Demar Derozan's like resurgence and revival was nice, but they just haven't been a good team for the last couple of months, really. And like they'll be, and they don't beat any good teams. They don't beat they any good beat teams. any good yeah. teams all year. No, yeah, I, and and you could honestly you could say the same thing about the 76ers, but the 76ers have a better team top to bottom. Like I think well, and they have one of the three best players in the league this year. They have one of the three best players in the league. You could, they still have James Harden, Matisse Thibault still a really good defender. You got guys on that team. Like the, the point, like even after the, even after the James Harden, Ben Simmons trade, still have a bunch of good players in the team. Maxi's also another good player. You know, they have guys on that team that can actually play. I, I to me, it's bucks. Number one gap Celtics. Number two, Nets who terrify the absolute hell out of me as my number three team. And that's just because KD was, uh, it's a, it's a KD respect then. Yeah. It's a KD, KD respect. respect thing. It's the one team the I don't want to play in it. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as I can't stand the guy, Kyrie Irving has been awesome. I know. Yeah. Uh, recently, which is whatever it, it bothers me, but whatever it's, he's been incredible, but I, you know, the team that I'm more scared of than necessarily the Bulls and is the Toronto Raptors because okay. they're just weird and their coach is really, really good and mm-hmm. they're just long and they and they play unconventional and unconventional sometimes just wins, right? Yeah, they can – it can win, especially in like a one – like that's why if if I think the, the way that the standings are right now, I think it would be Nets at Raptors, but I think like – that's a great one game playoff because those are the two most terrifying teams that you could play in a one game playoff. And I, and that would be really fun. I don't necessarily give the, an edge that big uh, to the nets because the Raptors are that good. And I don't know what, what's going to happen with the vaccine policy, but Ky- Kyrie's not going to get vaccinated. So if the game is in Toronto, yeah, he's not going to play in that game. He can't play in that he game. So that game. it, and it would, and that being said, it still wouldn't surprise me if the nets won because Katie is just that terrifying. Right. As we said before, so well, luckily, yeah. yeah. Luckily for the Nets, in this respect, I don't think Toronto's going to be in the playing game. Okay. I think Toronto's going to be in the top six. I think okay. they can end up in the top six. I think Cleveland's going to fall, and honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if Chicago fell all yeah. the way to seven. That would not surprise me. Uh, yeah. I, I think I think Cleveland's going to be in the seven spot. I think the okay. Nets are going to be in the eight spot. Um, but so I think the Raptors are going to be top six. Uh, but yeah, no, it, the East is a little wild and Miami. Yeah. They hit that, that little skid and the skirmish Jimmy Butler. I I can't say it's just nothing, but that's just a nasty team. That's a nasty team that can muck it up. And you just, they're just a bitch to play against. And, and you don't, and in a playoff series, that's hard. But do they have that extra gear, right? Do they have that extra gear that, like, Milwaukee has shown they have that extra gear? I'm not sure they do, but – Yeah, I don't think they do. I, I, yeah. I, like, who's there? Who's the guy who's taking the shot at the end of the game for them? I don't know. Like, I don't feel like – I feel like there's, too, there's, there's a little too much uncertainty there. Butler well, it's got to be, it's gotta be Butler. It's got to be Butler a la the bubble season. Like, that's what it's got to look like. Yeah, but the only reason that the, that the Heat got there was because – of a in that one series against the Celtics, Bam had the greatest 
the second greatest block in playoff or third greatest block in playoff history where he stops Tatum at the rim in game one, but also uh, Tyler hero became like unconscious for like a full, like two weeks. But I, I don't know, like now, like you don't have like, you know what? I, I was afraid of the heat and then Goran Dragic, who I'm absolutely terrified of being on the nets is no longer on the team. And I just feel like they don't have like that absolute dog in them. I feel like Jimmy Butler is kind of like a bit of a fraud right now because he just hasn't been playing well. And look, Jimmy Butler sure is a tough guy. I just, I'm not, I don't fear him as much. I fear Bam. I don't really fear Lowry. I feel like Lowry's like a poor man smart at this point. Like I don't Lowry's know. a really good Lowry. Just remember Lowry was the second best player on a title winning team. Not that long ago. So yeah, but at the same time, that was a title winning team that played against uh, like down, like injured clay and KD warriors team. Right. I mean, like that's like uh, as amazing as, as Kawhi was, and we can talk about Kawhi and where we think the West is going later. But to me, it's not like, I'm not too, I don't trust Lowry as much. And I feel like even then he wasn't the second best player. Cause I feel like Van Vliet was the better player on that team. If anything, at least in the playoffs. Lowry's game six in in uh, in uh, Oracle was was pretty pretty awesome. So I'll, I'll, so, I'll, I'll so you're that. still so you're still bullish on the Celtics. Um, yes. it, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a downer, but yeah. But you you also still believe that the um, that the Bucks are coming out of the East. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I think they're the best team, top to bottom. So that that leads me to uh, let's transition to because um, we just talked about the Bucks, the MVP race. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're having guys that are having unbelievable years, right? Unbelievable, unbelievable transcendent seasons, right? Yeah. The consensus is that we have a clear top three in Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid. And if you look at guys like Luca, who's I think gets penalized for coming into camp out of shape. And starting off slow, but he's come on like absolute gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Devin Booker has been incredible recently. He won't even be top three, probably like John Morant, who before the, all the missed games, you have him, you have Curry, who even though he's not having like one of his greatest seasons, he's still incredible. Like just an unbelievable deep, deep pool of great, great seasons. Yeah. Um. So how do you see the race shaking up and if you had a vote, what would your top five MVP ballot look like? So I see it's going to end up being top three, as you said. It's going to be Jokic, Giannis, and Embiid. Uh, if it was for me with the MVP vote, I would 100% give it to Jokic, and I don't think it's even close in my opinion. Even uh, if they're the seventh seed? Even if they're the seventh seed. Only because, on a, and maybe it's because my parents still live in, Denver and I have a few friends in the area but like I just find myself watching in awe of just like how a man that size is doing the stuff that he's doing and he's his numbers are better this year than they are last year which is the craziest part to me and his team is worse this year like that when I think about like who the best player in the league is I think it's Giannis when I think of who is the one player who I would least want to play in a one game in a one game series, like in a play in a play in game, it's Kevin Durant. I'm the, he's the most feared player, but when it comes to, I think the most valuable player, I would still go with Jokic just because he's bringing that team with like starting guys like Will Barton, Bones Highland, no, <laughs> like uh, the, the ghost of Paul Millsap. I don't even know who else is on the team really, but they don't, their team is not that good. And 
you know, the West is still a good conference and he's going to be fighting there and he's bringing them in the game every night. I, he's basically a triple double and we can like compare like, Oh, Russ triple double to Jokic triple double, but no, Jokic, it's different. His, his so different. rate isn't nearly as high. Exactly. It's apples and oranges. It, 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 exactly. That's why I'm saying like the, that, that's why his like ability to like average a double, double, almost a triple double has been incredible. And he's also beating the other good centers in the league like when they match up he plays them very well i think the only time that he lost i think he lost to Embiid, and it was a very close game but it was one of those unbelievable games that like could have gone either way had like a bad call gone but Jokic, i thought outplayed Embiid. it was just a matter of who had the better shot makers on the team so like i wouldn't i wouldn't be upset if Giannis won it obviously do i like how Embiid's played this year of course but i think both of those guys have had better teams and better health as opposed to Jokic. So I would give it to him. So here are the, here are the win loss uh, records, right? Sure. Which obviously has to take you know, be taken into account with, um, with when talking the, um, you know, MVP, right. It's not the end all and be all, but with these guys close enough, like it's going to be a deciding factor. So mm-hmm. Jokic right now, the nuggets are 45 and 31, which is given all the injuries is actually pretty crazy. The yeah. Sixers are 46 and 29. So not much of a big difference. Right. And the, the Bucks are 47 and 28, right? It, it would be hard for me to give it to Jokic if they're playing in the playing game. Like there's just something weird about like an MVP being a seven seed. Like I just can't get there, especially with the other guys being as great as they are, even if the records are the same, because I also think, that the Eastern conference has been better than the Western conference this year. Fair. Also very fair. So how, how my ballot looks right now, if I had a vote, which I should get a vote, but whatever. Ryan Rosillo just got a vote. So I guess I have to wait in line. You got so a couple of years, understand. just a couple of years. It's coming. Yeah. I, I just a couple of years. If he has to wait, I, I'm okay waiting. But if I had to, if I had to give a vote right now, I'd vote Giannis one. I'd vote Jokic two, I'd vote Embiid three, I'd vote Luka four, and I'd vote Devin Booker five. Okay. Which, and I can't argue against Embiid one, I can't argue against Jokic one, but that's just how mine would look. Yeah. I mean, and isn't it crazy that we're basically, we have three guys who are top three in the MVP are centers. I mean, you could say Giannis isn't actually a center. I would argue he's, He's a stretch five. You could say, you know, whatever. He's, he's, he's played some center. He's played some but, center. But he's not a guard. But he's not a guard. Exactly. But isn't it crazy that, like, we have, like, these, like, unicorns that, like, are all out from the United States right now? Like, they're all European-born or, or international players, and now they're just, like, absolutely dominating. And I thought, like, the center position was dead after, like, the whole Roy Hibbert Pacers saga. I was like, you don't need a center anymore or whatever. But then, like, these guys just show up, and they're just – they're physically so imposing, but also just so skilled. Like Embiid's improved to shooting. Jokic is like Larry Bird out there. Giannis just gets better in every facet every year. Like it's unbelievable how good all these players are. Luca as well. Uh, it, it, my, I wouldn't put Booker in my top five this year only because I feel like Chris Paul still does so much for that team, even with the time he missed. I, I agree that Luca should definitely be in there too because he's also willing that team into playoff contention. And, you know, even if the West is worse this year, they're both, they're still really good because of him. And, you know, his star power that he has to deal with is not as good comparatively. Right. So I'd still put, so yeah, I I'm with you with the top four and 
my fifth guy, uh, I wouldn't put Jaw in either. I don't really know who my fifth guy would be. There's just such a drop off. Even if, I, I wouldn't even give it to Tatum, no matter if the season ended today or whatever. But even if the Celtics got the one seed, I don't think I'd give it to Tatum. But interesting. All right, so we just named a couple of dudes who are for sure going to be on all NBA rosters. Hundred percent. For sure going to be on all NBA rosters. So before I ask you for, and we're going to pick our, our three all NBA teams. This thing with the positions, right? Because the whole, there's the, the big scuttlebutt is trying to get Embiid, Jokic, and Giannis, who are going to be the top three MVP finishers, all on first team. And putting Embiid or Jokic at forward which I find ridiculous. They don't play forward, right? No. Like, like, what are we doing at this point? No. If you want to pick the best five guys, pick the best five guys, yep. right? Fine, but that's not what the NBA mandates. So stop the charade. One of them is going to have to get bumped to second team, and it's tough noogies, and that stinks. It's yep. weird that a runner-up for an MVP is going to be on the second team All-NBA, but guess what? We have history of this, as Bill Simmons has outlined. You know, Bill Russell and, and Wilt Chamberlain weren't both on first team All-NBA. Shaquille O'Neal and Akeem Olajuwon weren't both on first team All-NBA. Like, what do we, like, stop. It's yeah. Nuts. And, and it's not like it's such like a, it's not like it's such a black mark to be like second team All-NBA. It's like, you're still like, whoever, by the way, like whoever wins the MVP, the other guy could easily win defensive player of the year in the case of like Giannis. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's right. not like it's such a crazy concept that like okay instead of being technically a top five player i'm a top 10 player but i'm also the third best in my position whatever I, it's it's a it's a bad debate if i'm with you that like it should just be the best five guys but you know i i, I think i actually I, I flirted with the rules a little bit this year and like if you want we can go back and forth or i don't know how you want to do the order for it but like well, I have I, the honest i'm gonna i'm gonna let you go first as the okay. guest give me your first team all nba guards Okay, first team All NBA guards. <laughs> I'm cheating, but I am Luca and Durant because to me, I know you're like not eligible. He's not even eligible. I, yeah, but the, I feel like, I don't know how many. I don't know how to classify it because he because he does have that shooting guard mentality that he plays. Yeah, but the end. But the NBA doesn't even remotely classify him as guard, so he's uh, not eligible. All right, so if that's the right, case, so then. I, and I have to take him out. Then I would probably put Booker. I think that's. So I have Luca. I, I have Luca and Booker as well. Yeah, those okay. are my first team guards. And by the yeah. way, two weeks ago it would have been Curry and John Morant. Fine. Um, but Curry missed some time. John yep. Morant missed some time. So my first team guards are also Booker and Luca. Who are your two forwards and center? Two forwards. So are we saying that Giannis cannot be a forward, or are we saying he... no? Giannis is a forward. Giannis okay. is for sure a forward. Yeah, uh, it's Jokic and Embiid to me are not forwards. They are centers. They're both centers. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that too. I would say, I would say, however, if in the way that you're constructing a first all NBA team, and let's say you had to put one of them at a forward and one of them at a center, I would probably put Jokic at forward and put Giannis at center. Maybe that's just because Jokic to me looks a lot and plays a lot like Dirk. Is that a crazy thing to say? Like I could just see off in, in a if you had to put them out there in a five man rotation, right? I but Jokic, Jokic also there. Jokic really only guards centers. Like he doesn't guard post guys. So that so but okay. So so your first team, 
first team All NBA centers, Jokic, correct? Yes. Mine is yeah. as well. Who are your two forwards? Uh, I have Giannis and I have Durant. Which you is have Durant. So the yeah. so the miss the missed games to you doesn't matter as much. To me, he's it, missed a lot yeah. of games. Yeah, he missed a lot, but. And I, that, that's why I normally wouldn't be giving it to anybody like him. But at the same time, he's like the fear of God in, in your eyes. It's, fair. you know, it, it's, it, that's fair. just, that's kind of where I have to go with it. And to be fair, the only reason I'm putting in bead, knocking him down to the second team is just because when he's played the other bigs and especially last night, like he did not play as well as Giannis, especially down the stretch. Giannis absolutely sunned him at the most critical point of the game where he blocked his shot to seal the game. And I don't think he's really just, I just don't think he's as amazing as he's been. And as much as he's had to deal with there with the whole Ben Simmons saga, and then now bringing James Harden in, I just feel like he, he hasn't earned it as much from a value standpoint, going back to the MVP thing. And then therefore that's why he'd be my second team. Not that that's a bad thing though. I mean, you know, right. second teams, like the second team center is still a good team, a uh, good, uh, good award to have. So my two forwards are Giannis is a lock. And to me, and this is going to be so surprising, I'm giving it to Jason Tatum, a guy who I called the second most overrated player in the NBA. Not that long ago. I'm giving him the the first team forward nod because I don't think Embiid and Jokic, one of them should be forward and center, even though I do think the vote's going to end up coming out that way. But if Mm -hmm. I have my ballot, I'd give Tatum the nod because of the games played thing. Um, I bumped Durant to second team all games right. played, even though, you know, their stats are really comparable. Um, so I, I give Tatum the nod. Okay. So. And you're not saying that just because he listens to the podcast, because that's what he's told me on a number of occasions. So. Yeah. Well, uh, well, kudos to you, Jason Tatum. Like he's, he's been, he's been absolutely breathtaking to watch like crazy. Uh-huh. Like he goes into certain games, like thinking he's as good as, you know, the top five players in the league, yeah. like the Durant's, the Giannis's. And he may not be just yet, but if this is going to be a sustained stretch, like he's really knocking on the door and, and the, the the differential margin between him and those guys is is dwindling. Okay, so that's first team. Second team guard, who do you have? I have Curry and Ja as my two guards for second team. We are in agreement. Curry because of the missed games. Bumping down Jaw because of the missed games, but also because the team is still really good without him. Like they just don't lose regardless. So I have to bump both of those two guys down. Where do you land? I, I we are in agreement. Yeah. I've got Curry and John Moran as my two guards. Who are your two forwards? And I'm assuming Embiid is your center. Yes, I have Embiid as my center, and then I have Tatum and LeBron as my forwards. And we can get into a whole debate about whether or not LeBron who's on a team that may miss the playoffs is like worthy of being on second team. I I'm only switching it because I originally actually had somebody else there, but because we have to have the center rule in there, I have to, I had to move somebody else into the third team instead. Okay. So, so what, you know, what moves did you make? Right? Like what, so what did you originally have? Cause my second team forwards are Durant and DeMar DeRozan. Okay. And I have Embiid at center. Right. So I had I had Embiid two, 
right? And yeah, second team I, for forward and center, I had Embiid as center. And then I, for forward, I actually had Towns because to me, that's how they would play. Uh, that That's fair. That's yeah. fair. He's he's my third team All-NBA center, Carl Towns. Yes. And that's and where anybody votes Rudy Gobert over Carl Towns. No. Like, okay, so we're in agreement on that. Thank goodness, because the, the Gobert stands are the worst. Yeah. The absolute worst. I said this once on Twitter, and I got roasted for it, but I stand by it. Yeah. Rudy Gobert is just an overpaid JaVale McGee. Yeah. I, he actually might be the most hated person in the league, which is kind of crazy considering everything else. But I mean, I don't know. I just, I hate watching him play. I don't think he understands who he is. And I think he like thinks that he, I feel like he carries himself outside of games as if he's like a top five center in the league or even like a top three center in the league. But then like on the court, he'll play and he'll just get absolutely demolished. And like his team doesn't even trust him in games. He has no skill. It would be like it, yeah. it would basically be like if like Giannis had no work ethic, that's what that's what Gobert would be. If you can't throw your center the ball, yeah, when it's covered by a six-four guard, yeah, and have him punish that six-four guard, I'm sorry. You're not in the all NBA conversation or shouldn't be. And I'm sorry, you shouldn't be making $45 million a year. Agreed. Now again, he oh he exceeded his draft you know, slot, right? He was drafted yes. late first round, like no question. And Utah yep. giving the small market team, small market nature has to keep those guys and overpay to keep those guys. I get all that, but yep. like, come on, like that's ridiculous. Okay. So you have Carl Anthony Towns as your third team center. Mm -hmm. I do too. Who are your two forwards? Oh, so sorry. Just to close out on the second team, because I didn't have Tatum in my first team. I have Tatum in my second team. As you Got said it. before. Yeah. So, uh, Third team, I have uh, Towns as my center. I have uh, LeBron – or, no, sorry, not LeBron. I have DeRozan as my forward, and I have – what did I oh, – I miswrote something here. Yeah, so I had Towns as my center. I had DeRozan as a forward, and I had Trey and Donovan Mitchell as my guard. So, okay, but you're missing one position. Oh, okay. I'm missing one. You're missing here. one forward oh. spot. Yeah, uh, I would. Yeah, this got all messed up because of the center rule, which I didn't really play with. That's why. Yeah, that to me, like I would give it to Bam here, even with the missed games. But he's not. A uh -huh. I, could he be forward? I don't know. I got to me once again. It's that, that, that line. That's that's not insane. Um, I have Jimmy Butler in that spot. I have okay. LeBron as a third team forward. And Fair. don't get me wrong. I was looking for every excuse to bump LeBron off entirely because that team's terrible. And yep. I know he's putting up points, but like he's stopped caring about defense a long time ago. Like yep. I, I don't think he should be rewarded, but there's a dearth at forward, right? Like the guard position is stacked, but there's a dearth at forward. Like if I could put, and I'm not sure if the NBA allows this, if I could put Zach Levine as a forward, I would sooner put Zach Levine, but I think he's just eligible at guard. Um, I put Zach Levine in that spot. So, but I have Carl Anthony Towns at my spot at the center spot, Jimmy Butler and LeBron at the forward spots. I have Donovan Mitchell and Chris Paul. Okay. 
as the guard. You're not, so you're okay with giving Chris Paul the third nod, even if he missed all the games. He's missed. They're all the sixty-one games. and fourteen. Yeah, no, I'm with they you. They are I'm sixty-one you. and fourteen. I'm and I know the numbers, the raw stats are not there for Chris Paul, but the impact is there. Yep, they're sixty-one and fourteen. They got to be rewarded, and the Atlanta Hawks are one game over 500 in the 10 spot. So, and Trey Young, as brilliant as he's been offensively, brilliant. He's horrendous defensively. So that's that's the nod. I give it to Donovan Mitchell and Chris Paul. Do you think that by having then Chris Paul on your third team, that should knock Booker down into like the second team? Because I feel like then... No, because the stretch that he went on for me when Chris Paul was out, Mm-hmm. And they continued to win games at an absurd clip. Yeah. That, that was the differentiator. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. That to was me, the differentiator. To me, yeah, I have no problem with replacing Trey, Trey or Chris Paul. The only reason I gave it to Trey over Chris Paul is just in this games. But yeah, 61 to 14. I mean, it's I think it's because they're such a small market team that like people don't realize how amazing of a season that they're having. But like they just yeah. have such a fun team to watch and you know Aiton's still good like like if I could have like if there was like a if there was like an if there was a fourth team I'd have Aiton in my four spot for center as opposed to Gobert and that's just kind of where I'm at maybe that's yeah. just more Rudy Gobert hate but like that's just a really good team especially with those three players like that, that we were just talking about right now I, I'd agree with you okay so uh one last thing before I let you go actually well two things one so we got to talk about the rookie of the year for a second. Yeah. Rookie of the year ballot. What does your ballot look like? I would go, I would have my top three, uh, Cade, Scotty Barnes. And I, I don't know why, but I just love, love, love uh, Kaminga. I, just, I don't know. And I know he's been like, meh, but I don't know. Yeah, but he's not, a, he's not going to be top three in uh, the year think, voting as yeah. good as he is. I like him too. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I just think uh, there were just a few times earlier in the season, especially when Curry was playing, where they just like they had something like unlocked and it was just really fun to watch. I would say I haven't been watching the rookies as much, but the top two I, who I have watched were Cade and Barnes, who I I'd give it to Cade right now just because Cade, on, like he goes toe to toe with these guys and he carries himself as if he is like one of these top dogs. And I feel like Barnes isn't there yet. But Barnes is a better team, you know. You know, you know how it goes. So I had Evan Mobley locked oh. in this spot for a long time, for yeah. the, basically the entire year. I was in Madison Square Garden. I mm-hmm. saw like Evan Mobley do some weird Kevin Garnett 1998 version, like just yeah. Not he hasn't totally figured it out offensively yet, but the defensive instincts, like there's just. So special, right? Yes. And he missed a couple of games. What Scotty Barnes has done this year has been absurd. He yep. guards one through four, sometimes five. He's running point. He's just – and there's a nastiness to him that I really like. So I have Barnes one. I have Mobley two, and that's only because Barnes has played more games. Yep. And I have Cade three, and Cade is – you know, started out slow, obviously. He can't, you know, he was injured in camp. He didn't really have a full preseason. And so that that's my starting, that's my uh, order. Barnes one, Mobley two, K three, and I like all of these guys. And actually this rookie class, I like as a whole. 
Oh yeah, it's, a, it's actually unbelievable how good of a rookie class it is. Crazy. I can't believe I forgot about Mobley. I don't know why I forgot. Uh, you think about those three guys, yep. and then you have Kaminga, Promise, yep. Josh Giddy, a lot yep. of Promise, yep. Franz Wagner, Promise. Oh my right? god! And then and then you have like dudes who are just going to contribute to teams. Like I know the Knicks are not great this year, but like Quentin Grimes has showed that he can he could play minutes. Right? You have Davion Mitchell, who's yep. who's good. Right. I mean, just go up and down the line of the first round. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm with you. hundred percent with you. All right. La- last, last thing before I let you go, you, you requested to talk about the HBO show about the Lakers winning time. So yeah. what are your thoughts uh, on the show, on the show? Now, granted you, you're a sports fan. So obviously you, you understand how important of a team the eighties Lakers were. Yeah. Um, you know, you didn't witness them. I didn't witness them. I read the book by Jeff Perlman. Um, what are your, your thoughts on the show? Uh, I mean, first of all, it's very entertaining. I think like a, from like a filmmaking perspective and I didn't go to film school, I didn't study film, but like, I just, I like movies. I like TV shows and HBO just has this knack for just churning out amazing content every year. They have at least three or four shows. So it's a very fun watch. The casting is phenomenal uh got the not only just like from a look perspective like the guy who plays Quincy Isaiah the guy, Quincy Isaiah the guy who plays magic looks a lot like magic like shout out to the hair and makeup people but like facially he looks like him and then as you said before we even got on the air like they're finding like guys who actually like look like athletes and like are also like athletic like they're like a couple times in there where like he zips a couple passes or he's running up and down the floor I'm like that's like a fluid athlete you know yeah, you know how hard it is to find six nine guys who are fluid athletically, or or can at least they don't even have to be six nine, but they have to be tall enough. Where yeah. given the camera angles, you can make them look six nine. Like Magic Johnson was an anomaly, right? He's a six nine point guard who, right. who had guard skills. It's hard to cast that guy. Kareem Abdul Jabbar was as graceful as it gets for a seven footer. Mm-hmm. I think the guy who who plays Kareem, who is nailing the part from all from everything that I've heard that he's just nailing it because Kareem was a surly dude, yeah. Uh, especially in the late seventies before Magic kind of broke him down. Um, that's really hard. I think the guy the guy played college football. Like it it, it makes sense. Like it to cast the show is very difficult because mm-hmm. anytime you have a sports show, like it's got to look like these guys know how to play sports. Like one of the big one of the the flaws in White Men Can't Jump, which is a great, great movie that should not uh, be made, uh, yeah. is that Wesley Snipes, you could tell, never played basketball before. Atrocious. Atro- athlete. Horrible basketball player. Not only that, but not only that, but he was also horrible in major league, in major league or major league, yeah, major league. Like he didn't know how to he didn't know how to not like, an athlete. Not an, not athlete. an athlete. So it, it, it's very difficult. They nailed the casting, as you said. I mean there are a little liberties, like just because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a student of, you know, NBA history. Like it, yeah. like when Jerry Buss says, you know, shit for fans, that it was like a crappy time to be a Laker fan. Like the Lakers won a title in 72. Mm-hmm. They traded for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was the best player of the decade in 75. They made the playoffs every year but one. Was it yeah. a little stale? Yeah, but don't tell me it was bad to be a Laker fan. 
No. Yeah. No, certainly not. I, I would say like, it's a fun watch. Um, they definitely are dramatizing what it was like in the eighties, I guess, based on, you know, what the lifestyle was, but from all, from, from all the things that like we know about how the league was conducted back then, it was very free flowing and like guys weren't concerned about brands, especially guys in, like in like the major party cities, like they were trying to have a good time. And it's like fun to see the inner workings of how the team kind of was operating. And like, there was some madness to it. It's cool seeing like how Jeannie Buss is like featured in there. And then you have guys like, you know, um, uh, what's his name? The Pat Riley is like in there too. Paul Westfall, like the, the casting is amazing, but also just like the, this is where everybody's at and like how they all fit into the equation is really fun. I, yeah. The I, Riley thing is weird because like in no part of Pat Riley's life was Pat Riley, like a sad sack, right? Like they make him seem like, like after he retired, like he was like, you know, wandering in the abyss a little bit. He was confused. Yep. Like, Pat Riley was always a handsome dude, a debonair dude. Like, yeah, his playing career didn't result the way that he thought it was going to be in, like, as being a college star, right? I I get all that. But, like, just knowing how it turns out with Pat Riley and the swagger that Pat Riley had in the 80s and in the 90s with the Knicks, like – portraying Pat Riley is just like wandering the beach. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Like, I don't think that was, I can't imagine that it was that dramatic, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't picture him as like in real life being like this, like happy go lucky, like, Oh, I hope I can land the, the color commentator gig. Like, I feel like he was like a little bit more conniving and I don't think conniving is like a fair word because like, I don't think he's a bad guy or anything like that. I just think like, I feel like he had like more edge to him as you were saying and like had like more, direction is like i know what i want to do i'm gonna go grab it by the balls or as they say well i mean he did he did start off as the as the color guy and then he was roped in but it's just like when he was wandering on the beach like i don't know what to do with myself like i i can't imagine that was really the case yeah no i'm with you there it'll be it'll be fun to see how and where the show ends and you read the book and i haven't and i'm trying to not spoil it for myself and i know obviously historically like what it is portraying i just want to know if it's going to be a one season thing how long it's going to go where they're going to bookend it you know it'll be it's a fun watch to me though i i fully i can't i wish that they could find more players doing it because like we love the last dance right everybody loved the last dance it would be really cool if there was another dramatized if they had gone with the dramatized version of the last dance as well as the documentary you know what i mean if they could find somebody who could play a Michael Jordan or Scotty Pippen. Like you could do anything with Dennis Rodman, obviously in the dramatization. So right. you don't even have to go that far with it. So I, I, I like that they're doing these types of sports shows. I don't know if they'll ever have as much traction, especially as this type of show, but it's, it's a fun watch. I'm definitely happy about it as like a basketball fan. And as a Celtics fan, it's funny seeing all the Lakers fans being like, Oh, this isn't what we're about. Uh, like we're not, we're very like prim and proper. Like, no, you're not like own who you were own the eighties. Like this is, it, it was what it was. You're not upset about it. Well, that team won on the court. I mean, they won five titles. They went yep. to the finals eight times. Yep. So I don't know why the Laker fans are upset. Like they were partying hard. They would, they would go out and they would win on the court. I, I don't know why Laker fans would be upset. I guess, the one thing is that they're portraying Jerry West as a legit psychopath, yeah. but I don't think he was 
a psychopath. But again, this is the Adam McKay over dramatizing things. Right. But you know, it t- takes some liberties. But it, it's fine. I'm I'm entertained by it as well. And yeah. and I'm a I'm a sucker for this stuff. Like I'm a I'm a basketball fan. I'm a sports fan. I'll watch shows like this regardless. Right. And, and this is and you know it's it's entertaining. Yeah. It's better than ballers. You know what I mean? Like it's not. It, it's a good show. Yeah. Ballers was terrible. I mean, Playmakers was the, was yes. the under yeah. the radar like really great show mm-hmm. about football but like the nfl put the kibosh on that after they got in you know after you know espn and the nfl were yeah. airing games so they weren't going to portray they didn't want to have a show portraying their uh their players well yeah. like the way playmakers portrayed their players but anyway <laughs> obvious it was good to catch up man sorry yep. about robert williams We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll we'll have we'll have you back uh, throughout the playoffs to monitor what the Celtics are doing. And thanks again for doing it. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, man. Later, bud. Thanks again to recurring guest Jordan Marks for talking about the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, previewing the Final Four a little bit, and to Avi Wexler for talking about NBA topics, his Celtics, the Eastern Conference, some postseason awards, an absolutely packed show. That's episode 150. That's right, 150 for the love of the game. Take us out, Wheezy and Friends. Get off the gratitude. I am the fucking dude. Now who the yeah, fuck are you? listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.